So, take leave to speak a little louder this evening. Please sit wherever you can hear me, if you want to hear me, that is. If you don't want to hear me, then uh, it's even easier. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) As the microphone systems all, you know, defective, so having to project a little bit, please don't uh, think this is kind of imperative or more uh, domineering than uh, than usual. It's uh, uh, an encouragement, uh, a reflection, uh, offering points of reference that uh, hopefully my intention is that you can make use of them, one or two of them, not all of them probably, but something there to... uh, Give some focus and investigate and explore for yourself. Then your own, your own wisdom arises, not, not, not mine, but yours. So it's not trying to indoctrinate, but to uh, encourage you to find a way to bring out your own clarity and discernment. Because everyone has this, uh, this possibility and to develop it. When we use terms like wisdom, it seems so uh, high and even theoretical, but panya, uh, the ability to discern, to check, is this that or is it that? Uh, is it red or is it green? Is it painful or is it pleasant? Hmm? Is it skillful or unskillful? Does it cause stress? Or does it alleviate stress? Does it alleviate stress in a skillful way or is it just a collapse <laughs> of attention? Uh, eventually, what brings fruition? A uh, sense of uh, stability, relief from inner turmoil, you know, or congestions, or contractions, or uh, you know, the things that. that uh, Oppress people. They always have oppressed people. So how does this happen? How do we alleviate that? So the Buddha's path is one of wisdom to discern how this happens and discern how it doesn't happen, how we can dismantle it. It's a path that acknowledges the fundamental uh, punya, uh, value, of uh, being human, value of of the mind. It sacralizes it. Whereas uh, we find, say, material, materialism, particularly secular materialism, you know, individual human being is not, is only worth as much as their ability to consume or produce or invent or create. so if you can't do that, you're not really much worth. Yeah. And a lot of our intelligence gets exported to machines and systems that can do it for us, so we end up being kind of like, kind of pointless, really. It tends to devalue the human. You know, or just plug me into something and give me a program and get the wheels rolling, you know. Yeah. 
And this is done, this occurs not just in uh, physical means, but also in intellectual means. Just take the easy answers, believe the easy solutions, jump with the slogans, you know, follow the easy, easy slogans, the simplistic solutions, the short-term gains. I mean, it's a stupefaction of the human ability to be intelligent, discerning, and reflect. You know. mm. What gain is it if I'm losing my, my mind, my presence, my value? Mm. And so the desacralization of the human being is always you're as good as your ability to have something have an idea, have a job, have money, have glamour, be this, that, the other. It's always add-ons, and to get as many add-ons as possible. And though there's a lot of, you know, a whole range of add-ons one can have in terms of degrees and places to live and so on, the underlying theme is without it you're worthless. Yeah. Mm. Without it, you're worthless. You don't count. We're just trying to make ourselves into something that would be worthwhile. And this is the recipe for depression and anxiety and stress. Because you begin to recognize, you know, to keep getting more and more of the good stuff, you've got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and the underlying theme of you're fundamentally worthless kind of sneaks in. And this is... Uh, and then truth is worthless. One's words have no... You can just say any old rubbish quality of truth is negotiable, purchasable, dis- dis- disposable. <laughs> the quality of virtue is, is a matter of just getting a good lawyer to, to fix things for you. If you can't get a good lawyer, you know, then you're liable to get, um, you know, not treated very well. And so this innate potential of the human being is something that's is in danger of extinction, <laughs> just like every other valuable thing. Yeah. Value because it is, not because it does and has, but is. Mm. That's of course a fuzzy idea. Is what's that mean? You know. <laughs> But uh, Buddha, Buddha awakened, is supremely valuable by being, by being awake, free from corruptions, free from anxiety, free from pressure, free from pushing people around consuming, manipulating, free from these things, unrestricted by defilement, suffering, unrestricted by aging, sickness and death, 
unrestricted, the Tathagata dwells with unrestricted awareness. And there's potential. Sounds pretty valuable to me. So, you know, punya, translated as merit or sometimes goodness, but I like the sense of value and worth because it gives you the sense, isn't it just the judgment? This is good, that's not so good. There's a real quality there that you can directly touch, feel. It is enriching. One's life becomes ennobled, enriched through cultivating some core qualities, some core processes and practices that eliminate the hindrances, corruptions, distractions. And this is essentially the whole main thrust of the Buddha's teaching, is to do just this. And often we're starting from a default of devalued. Jitta, the heart itself, doesn't know itself. It's always getting lost in ideas, dreams, passions, fears, worries, opinions, views, personality issues, histories, bodies. It's always getting lost in these kind of uh, areas that limit it, limit its potential to, you know, to a series of emotions or a series of notions and ideas or philosophies and views or just even just being a male or a female. You know, <laughs> I mean, no matter how good a male or a female you are, your body is, it's still not that good, really. <laughs> You know, it still hurts, <laughs> gets tired, ages, you know. Yeah. Gets blemished, gets knocked around. <laughs> yeah. So what's the point of really making a big deal out of that? There's uh, chitta, spirit, heart, awareness, mind. And not to divorce that as something separate from everything, but something that can suffuse and be um, accessed through every thought, mood, physical experience. So within this very body and mind, within this body with its consciousness, perceptions, feelings, mental, mental inclinations, Consciousness. Buddha said, "This is where you find, you know, the world arising, the worldly attitudes, their ceasing, and the path leading to their ceasing. So the chitta is freed. And in this, we cultivate punya, as it's a building up value, and value accumulates. Yeah." whether you want it to or not, it just does. <laughs> so if you, you keep, you know, practicing virtue, restraint, goodwill, kindness, renunciation, honesty, truthfulness, straightforwardness, non-manipulative, yeah. um, 
strengthening attention, uh, forgiving, opening, all these, then you, you will, it will by, that's what does it. It builds up. Uh, and then the result is it's a certain strength which is not pushy. And in a strength that's not pushy, as in a richness which is not about having things, as in a warmth, loving, which isn't about infatuation or sentiment, it's natural goodwill. And as a clarity, which is not about having great ideas, it's just the sense of open, clear, warm, steady. And it can infuse the human being. From this place, then, naturally, what can arise from that are skillful intentions, because... There's no, there's no reason to why should it be any other way. Mm. You know, if you're not stressed or pushy or craving or frightened or nervous or fed up, what naturally arises in the heart is qualities of goodwill in various forms or another. Uh, things that enrich yourself and others. This is called the field of punya, punya ketang. So as we practice together, we live in cooperatively, helping each other, you know, giving each other space and encouragement, steadying. Then they generate a field of punya. There's a collective quality to it. And everyone who commits and practices like that will help to generate this quality. So that people want to come here to taste it, to dip into it, and be reminded, although it, we may have it, or it may occur in the monastery. It's not about a monastery. It's not a place. It's not about any particular individuals. Lay women, lay men, monks, nuns. It's available. There's no discriminations in that area. Depend on each individual's direct perceptions and encouragement and an attunement to what's valuable. There's a certain sacred quality about it. I mean, sacred means you can't buy it. You can't own it. You can't claim it for yourself. It's beyond that. And just consider how many things in this world are really sacred, not owned by somebody, not commodifiable. Though this really is an important project to be part of. Generating and sustaining a field of punya, of value. So you take it on the, when you come from that place, you start to review other people in terms of valuing them. You can Turn, you can turn the wrong iron and look at people and criticize or compare who's better than this or that or the other. He's this, he's that. But you try to look and you see the qualities of integrity, uh, qualities of commitment, and perseverance, qualities of goodwill. And those are the things you focus on. What you focus on will amplify. That's also natural. The nature of chitta. Whatever you put your attention on, 
that will increase. This is the whole process called jhana, absorbing. You put your attention onto something skillful, it will increase, you get a positive one. Put attention on something unskillful, you get a negative jhana. (laughs) And the Buddha described those, you get absorbed in hindrances. Yes, it's just like a you know, donkey, the wrong kind of jhana. But if you put your attention on what feels valuing and valuable, you feel a sense of worth, stay with it. It will increase, it will amplify. And long-term benefits. And teaching and, and considering like this is to also to you know, overcome the, the natural <laughs> fragmentation that occurs in the sensory world where we've got day and night we've got big people and small people we've got people doing this and people doing that some people on silent retreat some people working in the kitchen we've got work practice we've got meditation practice we've got training sessions, uh, reflections on sila. Uh, so you've got all these differences, even in a place like this, where it's not particularly complex. Someone can easily think, well, I should be doing more of that or less of that, or he does a lot of that but doesn't do any of this. You want to get a practice that can encompass all of it. And the, the name of that is cultivating bunbarami in Thai, punya, value and parami uh, transcendent strengths such as the strength of virtue the strength of generosity the strength of renunciation and these are both heartful and they're also about having a clear head it's where the head and the heart come together and have to be activated so the head sense is that which gives you a sense of you know, discipline, discerning this rather than that. Yeah. And heart is that which dispels the differences and gives rise to a suffusive quality. Necessary because we have to first of all and continually discern what sends the heart in the wrong direction what is a wrong direction anyway and discern and then okay that's something to be looked at investigated turned away from or moderated or checked you know some some intelligence going there and then to ability to enjoy and linger and, and take in the qualities of what arises what skills are present and this is the heart heart takes in receptive takes it in head discerns this that this that so we've got to have them both you're just all head you get into you get into this and that and this and you're looking for a system to do this and that and that's that and then trying to organize it all and get things to work and then you get into doubt about which is the right theme or the right thing to focus on or how long should I do this for 
how long should I practice loving kindness for? Uh, well, um, don't stop. <laughs> Can you imagine? Sorry, I've stopped practicing loving kindness now. <laughs> you turned up at the wrong time. <laughs> so we start to think, well, what does practice mean? You know, some kind of doing thing. And unfortunately, this is the way the head works. Now you do this, then you do that, and you do an hour of vipassana, then you do an hour of metta, and you have a break and be reckless and <laughs> careless. Okay, and then do an hour of recrimination, <laughs> and, then, and then maybe you know work it off, and then go to bed. <laughs> Next day, shake it around some more. So again, these kind of systems attachments, called sila pata paramasa, which is a head problem, attachments to rituals, attachment to systems and customs. We're searching for security in that which can be planned, discerned and organized. And it does produce a sense of definition. And we assume that what's definite, what's definite, seen as an object, must be secure because I can see it, I can think it, therefore it's secure. I can plan it, therefore it's secure. Yeah. I can get it all worked out. I can get the kitchen organized exactly right, therefore it would be secure. Yeah. And what happens? Stress. Uh, somebody starts not wanting to do it the way you do it, or things don't quite work out, or we've run out of turmeric or something or the other this isn't right when somebody comes up brings a whole load of dana so the system any system by itself any system must break down that's the nature of it any system it will break down because life is not a system So when you're trying to fit things into boxes with labels on them, be careful. <laughs> There's a gratifying, tidying up mentality. That uh, uh, There's a sense of security in that. And nothing wrong with tidying things up, but imagine it's going to give rise to a sense of security and completion. Is an illusion. Because security isn't found in anything, any structure. Security is found when the jitta sits in itself. One feels confident, comfortable, steady. Uh, not because of something, some constructed stuff. And the aim of, you know, constructed, the sealer and the vata, so sila, vata, paramasa, refers sila, uh, customs, vata, ways of doing things repeatedly, customs and duties, or customs and systems. We use customs, we use sila, and we use duties and routines, we use them. It's the paramasa, that's the snag. Paramasa means something like fondling, (laughs) you know, like a certain indulging in or leaning on or, or clinging to them. Yeah. 
then you get sila causes right and wrong, uh, blaming, criticizing. If you organize too much, you can get a very critical, snipey kind of mind. But if you organize from the heart, organization is of reality, human beings, life, which is organic, felt. It's like water, you can't put it in a box, like flowing water, but you can flow gently, steadily, in a composed way. And then the the sealer that we use is there to help us uh, back to that place. We're restraining from abusive, controlling, manipulative, distracting behaviors. The idea is then you can settle into proper behavior, which is beyond definition as such. The Buddha called it matters of minor morality, even though he certainly emphasized it. He said, this is just there to help guide the jitta through this stream of life without getting snagged. So what is that sila? When sila, morality, becomes an expression of loving kindness, then you can rely on it. When it becomes an expression of respect, an expression of value, because I value you, then I don't tell you untruth. Because I value you, I don't gossip. Because I value you, I don't foster your will. And this is not just the decision. When that true valuing is established, then any inclination that comes up in the mind associated with disrespect feels very distasteful. You know, something you pulls away from it. Disrespect or deceit, manipulative, pulls away from it. Tastes bad. Don't want that. Then you you have that. Then you have really established sila, not just as obedience to rules, but as a deep value that will never let you down. You're not seduced by urgency, getting things done, being the best, getting everybody to obey you, (laughs) frightened of not being good enough, guilty over minor errors. You don't get snagged in that. That's why it's very important to keep that overall sense. If you look at value, then that gives rise to both loving-kindness, compassion, enjoyment, appreciation, equanimity, and and virtue. We take something like a uh, generosity parami. Something means that the enjoyment of it is because in that the heart comes out of that narrow state into something that includes another, includes another with that gesture of the pleasure of including another and and contributing a real pleasure in that. So when your heart 
feels like that, you know, oh yes, it's in the right place. This isn't about getting them to do me a favor, <laughs> you know, or because I ought to. This is a genuine expression. And you can give service, give truthfulness, give hospitality, give advice, and you can give material things. But really the most important ones are the immaterial, because it's what really lingers and stays much more than material goods. Giving attention. And then we're really bringing the heart into practice, into constant review. And then you're looking into that with your head, if you like, and assessing how is that. When does it waver? What kind of things cause it to flounder or capsize or get fed up? And this is the principle of Dhamma Vijaya, or exploring, investigating the Dhammas that arise. That takes uh, discipline. to stay with it and to look into blameworthy experiences experiences you don't really like about yourself um, phenomena that are agreeable but fleeting uh, mysterious, unexplained you're not just judging it but you are assessing it feels like this goes this way So this is Dhammavijaya. And with this we begin to really see where phenomena arise. They can be triggered by perceptions, by impressions, by that immediate flash of she's this or he's that or it's this or it's that, that kind of hit. But where they rise up is in the body you get a sense of something lifts, something stirs, something tightens, something loosens, something moves, and you can feel it in your nerves. And this is such an important um, piece of meditative understanding because your body will always tell you the truth. Whether you're stirred up, defensive, depressed, elated, Spinning out, getting a little bit dizzy, scattered, flat. (laughs) It will tell you it, and you can read it. So without this access to what occurs in the somatic domain, investigation just becomes endless analysis of, I'm like this because that happened, and she's like that, and this isn't what I came here for, and... Surely Mahayana Buddhism's like this, and doesn't the Buddha say we should be more compassionate? Why is there more compassion in Tibetan Buddhism? There is in Theravada Buddhism. I want some more compassion. Do it then. (laughs) It's all in here. What's stopping? What's stopping that flow? don't feel grounded you come into your body you're not settled something's bothering you deal with that 
explore what's bothering you, what's, what's blocking you. It's not Buddhism it's blocking you. <laughs> it's not monasteries that are blocking you. Yeah. It's not hierarchies that are blocking us. It's the perceptions that trigger feelings of anxiety or inferiority or judgment or blame or um, sees the heart so the heart closes down and uh, this is what happens for all of us so you're looking at those trigger points not going into the topic I'm feeling upset because he did this and that and the other which in one way is true but right directly because you never know but not everybody's going to fit my way of seeing things they might be unconsciously rude or consciously rude <laughs> you know without, <laughs> through intention or without intention that's theirs isn't it that's theirs you don't have to make it yours so if you come into that what's happening in your body and you feel that sense of irritation or wanting to lash out understandable does that give good result short term maybe good yeah you know <laughs> oops long term oh dear that's going to take three years you know talking things over to try and erase that and it'll probably still remain as a memory <laughs> how many of those have we acted upon and ten years down the line you've still got the memory of it thinking oh dear have to work it out now. Going to go back to those places where you flared up or sank down, or and always the Buddha says you go back to there. You say, okay, that's the lesson learned. That's there. You need to cultivate heart. Metta karuna mudita upeka, kindness, compassion, uh, appreciation. Celebration of the good, celebration of the lovely, equanimity, serene, openness, emotionally available, but serene. So then we cultivate those two dhammas that arise. As they arise, they jump up. A feeling of stories come up. Yeah. So narratives come up, uh, slogans come up, uh, opinions about people and things come up. You know. What does that feel like? Don't follow the topic, don't follow the narrative. Well, it's my advice. I have plenty of them myself. Just going back to the root, devalued. I've been devalued, I am devalued. Uh, it's not fair. Yeah. You get to that, remember, everybody gets this. Unless you're totally established in the field of punya, things knock you out of it. And then you feel devalued, lessened inadequate failure and then you get all the statistics just to prove it 
And you can absorb into it and make a thing out of it and try to counteract it and cover it up, compensate for it. This is the long way round and it doesn't actually cure it. We've got to start returning to the place of value, stability and contemplate from your steady place the energies that arise holding steady. So the principle of Dhamma Vijaya isn't just exploring so that you know something, but exploring so that that which does the exploring, the citta held mindfully, stays steady and kind. It stays heartful. So as you touch into the fear, it's causally the steadiness and the heartfulness is stronger and the fear can't catch hold. It begins to melt. You touch into the feeling of uh, inadequacy, a kind of sinking down, and the jitta stays steady, contemplates that, not in a hurry to get rid of it, not rejecting it, not dismissing it, energy wanes. So very much on the energetic level. Because that's how it gets into you. That's the food of jitta. That's how it gets in there. Jitta translates sights and sounds and impressions into constricted energy, flaring energy, distracted, wavering energy, sunken energy. And it goes down with it and it starts to concoct mind states based upon that that energy. And you get a heavy, flat, dull energy. You can heave and push and all you like and it's not going to move. You just contemplate. And how does the strength come? Where does the strength come from to do that? Mindfulness immersed in the body. Mindfulness immersed in the body is the fountain of all wise states. It's the source of all wise states. This is pretty much verbatim from the suttas. It's not the physical body, but the quality of mindfulness when it's anchored in the sense of the presence of the body, that in us which feels here, upright, stable, however that is, anchored there, then that doesn't sink into the vortex of devaluing and abstractions and fragmentation. It stays steady. And this is how you you drain um, these karmic histories of their power to take over. And it's quite a, it's, it's practice because some things are extremely powerful. You know, the ability to, the urge to distract ourselves is not a flimsy thing at all. It's powerful. Uh, to, to not have to be present, 
to, to go into a fantasy somewhere or another, to go into an idea, abstraction, get me out of here. It's been the default escape route that jit has taken to try to get out of stress, try to get out of this bleak, empty, barren state of the uncultivated, unawakened jitta. So yeah, it's, you've got to wean it by, you know, you don't necessarily start with that capacity, but you wean it by noticing and valuing yourself, others, valuing the movement of the body, valuing clear speech, valuing every time that you check an unskillful impulse and let it pass. The value builds up, the value builds up, heart arises out of its gloom, out of its sense of being trapped. Then you establish that in the body. Body gives it strength. Strength counteracts the pull of these corrupting forces. This means the heart is even stronger. We feel confident, we feel bright. Then heart is stronger, more open, warmer. See things more clearly. Not bothering to turn your head towards things that have no particular value. You're much more resolved on where does suffering arise and stop rather than speculation around politics or state of the world or alternative realities or artificial intelligence or conspiracy theories, which, you know, yeah. (laughs) But where do you get out of suffering? (laughs) Where do, you get out? Where do you find that sense of fulfillment? Not in following any of that. So you look at this, the agitations and the complications and the things that you'll get it all figured out. You cannot figure it out. This goes beyond the sphere of reason. And there is a place beyond the sphere of reason. And the Buddha said this is Nibbana, this is where I encourage you to go. And there's practice steps, you know, we can sort of imagine, well, do we have to do all this boring stuff, past stuff, we can just jump into unconditioned awareness straight away, just be the knowing, unconditioned awareness. Um, maybe, but... Uh, 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 Noticing where the mind jumps, it rarely really jumps into unconditional awareness. <laughs> uh, maybe for some individuals it could, but the Buddha taught us a reliable path, a steady path that's could fit everybody. So it's just this, you know, collecting oneself in the body, collecting oneself in thought, collecting oneself in heart. Mm where they come together, where the composure comes together, where the clarity comes together, where the living warmth is established, not lost, not dependent, then the corruptions can cease. So we cultivate. 
And perception is such a powerful trigger, like tonight we have this, this midnight vigil, and you can think midnight vigil, oh no, midnight vigil. Got to stick here till midnight, midnight vigil. Uh, time, 9.30, I'm going to take a break now, and get back at 10 and do some walking, plan a midnight vigil, 11.30, I want to feel, I'm going to feel terrible tomorrow. You can spend the next two hours thinking about how terrible you're going to feel the next day, and you will, I guarantee. <laughs> because you would definitely feel terrible the next day if you do that. We used to have all nights, once a week, uh, all night vigils, two or three or four, and you could kind of dread them. Uh, how can I get through this? Yeah. Uh, and plan and try to you know, have enough coffee at seven, maybe it'll give me enough boost to get through, but you do coffee at seven, and by 11 you're coming down. You know, oh my God, no. Uh, and then a cup of tea at midnight, maybe some fudge or something, and then trying to struggle through till two and then eventually about three you finally something gives up oh then ding the bell rings (laughs) and you had the last ten minutes you were finally settled (laughs) into into something stable you spent the rest of the night planning and fantasizing and worrying and doubting and the next thing that happens again the next time, eventually something starts the dawn, like forget the idea, here you are, let's just hold this together as best you can. If you can't, that's up to you, you know. It's it's we've got to practice with ourselves. It's not a conformist unit, but it's an opportunity to challenge, to cultivate, to strengthen, to resolve, bear with what's difficult to bear with, you know, all good stuff, simple stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, that's a possibility. So it's, it's a field, and you can see what the possibilities are, you know, in terms of you, in terms of your citta. But uh, the whole theme of this is, is a benevolent theme. You know, it's maybe tough love at times, like, Really, let's make an effort here because it'll be for our welfare. But if you're finding it struggling, totally negative reactions, then that's always up to you. It's your life. And we want to give that back to you. But your life is not the life of that nattering in your head. It's not the life of that worry and doubt in your heart. That's not your life. Your life is truly beyond that and that's what we are inclining towards uh, getting through this very tricky swamp mountain range of mental proliferations and emotional disturbances to arrive at something somewhere rather profound and sacred so let's uh, Take responsibility for our actions and mind states and cultivate.